Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and and as always, and, and I don't see how it would change, I'll always be joined by my good friend, my business partner, uh, my buddy, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. How you doing, man? Thanks, man. That's that's a very warm intro. I, I, you know, I agree with you. I greatly see the strength of the partnership, and uh, I think the future is bright for us. It's, it's so bright. I got to yeah. wear shades. I, me too. I'm wearing them right now. Can't see a bloody thing in my office. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, this is this is part two, so I'll continue mm. to welcome you back from Isla. Thank you. As much as I love Isla, and I do love Isla, it is always good to come home. Are you that way? Like, work aside, if I'm away on vacation, my favorite part about vacation is being home. Are you the same way? I like the fact that I can now look backwards at something that is firmly ensconced within a nutshell. There's no uncertainty. You know exactly how every single day went. You know exactly how well your kids did or didn't behave. You know how the travel went on each end of it. You know the experiences that you got to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I very much like it when it's in a nutshell. And then, and then I'm ready for the next adventure. And I'm ready for it to be encased in its own nutshell. So you like to have two nuts in their shells. To, in their shells. Yeah, hence my love affair with monkey nuts. <laughs> uh, oh, that is so funny, monkey nuts. So just to, to recap, I, I know our, our listeners are very supportive and, and listen to each episode every two weeks, and we greatly appreciate that. But for somebody who saw that this is about Japanese whiskey mm-hmm. and wanted to jump into our episode, this is part two. Part one was with Sam Filmus of Impex with whom you were traveling, and, and mm-hmm. Chris Udi, his business partner, mm-hmm. yep. uh, with whom you were also travel, mm-hmm. traveling, uh, interjected some fantastic points in that first episode, in this uh, in that first part, I should say. Yeah. In this second part, we're now going to focus on Chris Udi mm-hmm. and the life that he's really made for himself in the Japanese whiskey category and and what he's Mm -hmm. done, hugely successful in bringing rice distillate to the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Winning awards with Oishi, with Fukano. I'm going to touch on that in a second, but I want to lead off what I'm going to say with something that um, I've never told him, and I don't think I've ever told you this. Oh boy. But... It's about to get real. You know, I've been working with Chris... Since 2014, I've known him for a bit before that. And obviously, you know, with being with Impex, I'm in meetings, I get to talk with him a lot, we have planning meetings, things like that. And one of the things that I love about Chris, and this bleeds over into everything I see him doing, is he thinks unlike anyone else I know. Hmm. And... What I enjoy about him, and, and I think he uses this this um, superpower he has for rice whiskey. Mm. No one had heard see what you're saying. of a rice based distillate. Yep. This is this is something that was on nobody's radar. Period. His wife's Japanese. They go out to Japan 
every year. He finds these distilleries. He's fi- he finds these casks. And not only does he say, this is good, I wanna, uh, I'd love to import it, you'll hear it as, as we get into the interview, he's doing all sorts of research to see if there's a precedent for rice in whiskey, to see if there's a precedent for the use of koji in fermentation. And in a way, you know, you think about, and I don't want him to get a, a too big a head here, but if, if you compare it to music, there are certain pioneers in music. You know, in the, in the 90s, all of a sudden, there was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and then grunge bands out mm-hmm. the arse, right? Mm-hmm. And in the, in the very late 60s and in the 70s, punk started to merge. And all of a sudden, there was punk, you know, and, and so on. You can go, you can go back. There is, you know, folk singers and, and so on. And so he seems to be, in everything that he does, he seems to be playing a bit of, he's playing chess. He's always thinking seven steps ahead of almost everybody I know. Hmm. And Those are I, very kind yeah. words. I, I, I don't disagree with you. <clears throat> Those are very kind words from somebody that you get to interact with on a very regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I like the way his mind works, and he's just good fun to hang out with, too. Well, you certainly, and I say you because you're in charge of the editing, we, <laughs> since it's our <laughs> podcast, technically, teased some of what Chris is going to cover today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we teased it at the end of part one, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a lovely tease for the audience. But before either you introduce some of the key topics that are going to be covered mm-hmm. here, or we simply throw the floor over to, to the conversation you had with Chris. Mm-hmm. You and I have got something quite special in our glasses right now. Mm-hmm. We decided, for yeah. Chris Udi being here, to, to open up the Brandy Cask Oishi. Uh-huh. And later on, we'll, we'll open up something else just as a point-counterpoint. But in talking about this Brandy Cask Oishi, I love... The way, first of all, you don't hear about a lot of brandy casks in whiskey maturation, as no. we know whiskey yeah. maturation. Yeah. You don't see a lot of brandy. So immediately, you've piqued your interest. But in pouring this for people, and if, if you sniff it right now, the rice character, the rice mm. distillate mm-hmm. shines through from that brandy cask maturation. Yeah. Yes, it does. A little bit of sweetness in the background with that brandy cask. But I found in pouring this whiskey for sake lovers, Mm, mm -hmm. they absolutely understand what's happening Mm -hmm. in this cask. Yeah. In this maturation. And um, yeah, it it was really interesting to pour it for people and have them grasp the rice distillate. Yeah. Right away, yeah, and 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 even that natural cast strength of you know low forties, forty two, and saying to people, there's no water dilution in here, so you're getting the natural oils yeah. that are present from distillation that survive because they've got good quality casks yep. that they're maturing in. It's a very different beast, and and I think it's it's a cracker to sip on, and it's a it's a cracker to introduce people to. It is, and it's it's sort of an unusual story because 
when people think about whiskey, what is whiskey? It's a spirit that is made from grains, yeast, and water. And what they're doing is they're using koji in the fermentation, which, and Chris will get into this, uh, but it's a, it's a type of mold that just kind of eats away at anything that could potentially turn bad, right? So if, if people know distillation, let's call it single malt distillation, you have double distillation, uh, you distill your wash or your beer first, and you produce an alcohol that's got a fair amount of methanol in it. You then have to distill that again now in your spirit still. And the second still cleans the spirit, it removes the methanol, and now you have ethanol, right? And, and of course, many other compounds. But you have that second still just to strip away all of the bad stuff, to, to clean the spirit. And with this, the koji... Mold eats away at anything that can turn into methanol, anything that can turn into some sort of a, a sulfury compound. And so mm-hmm. when they distill it, it's a single distillation. And yep. all of the spirit is taken, the heads, the hearts, the tails, or the four shots, hearts, and faints, however you want to call it. And they put all of that together. The average ABV comes to around 45, 46%. And then they put it into cask. And that's why at 40, 41, 42, 43% alcohol, that is natural cast strength. And uh, how should I how should I say this, Jason? Badly. Badly. Poorly. Poorly. Inadequately. <laughs> you have people that are, that have very open minds to this whiskey. <laughs> and then you have people who don't have such open minds to this whiskey because it's rice-based. And because of the koji, and because there's already a category of a rice-based distillate called shochu. Mm -hmm. And actually, I spoke with Chris the other day, and he reminded me that shochu can actually be cask strength. I thought it had to be in the 20s. That's not necessarily true. It can be at cask strength. It then gets another name like kanji or something like that, which just means cask strength shochu. Hmm. But what it cannot have is really any color to it. That that part I knew, yes. Right? And so you have some people that say, well, that whiskey is just dark shochu. And on one level you could say, well, I guess technically you're right. However, legally you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Legally that simply is not sh- – you can't call it dark shochu. You can't call it shochu. Legally in Japan – and in some other countries, in the UK, you can't call it whiskey because of the koji. But in the US, our laws are quite different. And that's why I get back to what I said before about Chris, is that he, he saw this product, he saw that the juice is good, regardless of how it's made. Does it taste good? The answer is yes. And then he started looking for this historical, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, documentation? Documentation. I was right. I was on the right path. <laughs> to see, you know, can this be done in America? And you you have a history going back to the 1800s. So, in a way, he's bringing something that there is a tradition of. Mm-hmm. And he's also doing something kind of a bit punk rock. And I kind of like that. And, you know, again, back to the naysayers. 
you know, there were people years ago that said women can't vote, <laughs> right? <laughs> and now they can. There are some people now who say women shouldn't vote. <laughs> right. But there's always been naysayers about something. For sure. And, and, for sure. You know, in the end, good juice is good juice. And I, w- I would say they're, the naysayers are free to have their opinion. But I, I think that they may be shutting themselves out from good tasting stuff. And. Oh, for sure. Right. There's no doubt about it. But, but I've. I've learned that myself, right? I'm now drinking much more mezcal. I'm now drinking much more um, rum. Uh, the other day I was drinking Sotol, right? And so there's an opening up of so many categories mm. that if, if you walk around saying, I'm only a single malt scotch guy or gal, mm-hmm. you you're just missing out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think it, it behooves you to to take that position. And and I say that as somebody who formerly held that position. Let me let me draw your attention to the second glass that we've got in front of us here. Okay. Because if we poured that brandy cask oishi uh, from a moment ago, mm-hmm. this is the sherry cask oishi. Oh, I poured the wrong thing. But you oh, well, you took. You talk okay. about yours. Yeah, go ahead. That's okay. We'll circle back to you. The reason that, that I like to do the brandy cask next to the sherry cask mm-hmm. is, as I was saying earlier, those who I encounter who are sake drinkers and really like the rice distillate coming through mm-hmm. that brandy cask maturation, it works. For those who come to this with more of a Scottish mindset... Yeah, yeah. I'm glad the sherry this. cask maturation makes much more sense to them. Mm-hmm. The flavors there are a bit more traditional. There's a very clean spirit driving right through that sherry. Yeah. But the warmth of the sherry, the dark fruit of the sherry, really makes them familiar. And the reason I want to talk about this now is because it makes them feel familiar within an unfamiliar category. Yes. Then you get to go, oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay, so rice distillate no longer matters to them. They're drinking good whiskey. Yes, yes. And I, but my hope is that they continue to drink that and dig a little deeper because now this is for the standard sherry release. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Single casks are a different story. Yeah, I didn't pour the single cask. Is that what you accidentally poured? No, I actually (laughs) accidentally poured some Fucano. Classic Joshua. Um, Yep. But within the regular sherry cast release, they're using enough sort of second fill casks or refill. To be honest, I don't know if it's second fill or refill. But anyways, they're using some more well-used casks in there to ensure that the rice distillate isn't completely masked. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. No, no, no. And that's that's what I mean by saying there's still this nice clean distillate running through it. It's still noticeable Mm -hmm. that it's... It's crisp, it's clean, it's fresh. Yes, yes. But there are some layers of sherry round about that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, this, and personally, I I like the sherry cask. Oh, see, I'm a brandy cask guy. See, that's why there's two of us running this company. I I like that, I like that clean, very floral, there's almost, it's almost like a white grape note on the back of the palate that comes through that I think is the brandy cask sort mm-hmm. of influence on it. 
but I really like because they're using these sort of ex cognac casks and cognac casks tend to be well used. They're not putting a whole lot of oak onto the spirit. I like that the casks are showing restraint Mm -hmm. and really highlighting the spirit. And when I'm pouring a wishy for people and teaching them about a rice-based distillate, it allows me to show them, okay, if you're a sake drinker, these flavors are familiar. If you are not a sake drinker, that's cool too. Let's talk about some of these other flavors. And if you like this, check out some sake, right? Yeah. Or or maybe even check out shochu as well. I mean, both categories of, you know, sake is a wine, shochu is a spirit. Both categories are are well worth exploring. Tons of different flavor and texture um, that different kinds of rice and yeast allow for. So I think it's a great teaching tool. And it's also, in my opinion, a good, easy whiskey that um, when I just, I just want to hang out and have something that is pleasant across the palate, smells really nice, mm-hmm. I go for that one. So you and I could do what we always do, which is we can continue to sit here and drink whiskey and talk about whiskey and talk about, you know, great products and talk about how much we love Chris Udi. We could also hear from the man himself. Before we do that. (laughs) (laughs) I knew exactly what I was doing there, Joshua. I knew exactly. (laughs) I was setting you up to back it up. (laughs) Uh, So this this is what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Never stop being predictable, please. <laughs> My wife tells me that all the time. So we recorded our our intro, right? We put we put in the the Sam Filmus and Chris Udy content, and, mm. and we put in the you know the teaser at the end and all of that. Mm. And I listened back to the episode, and I was really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And then we posted it, and it went live on whatever the Wednesday it was um, that it went live. And I'd listened to the first, I don't know, somewhere within the first three minutes or so. We talked about, you know, that I didn't want you to get too big ahead. It was right in the intro. Yes. And all I thought to myself was, holy shit, there was a big missed opportunity there. And wouldn't you know it, we get an email from uh, Dan Grison, who's who's written in before. Written in? Written in? Written? Written, please. Written, written in. Who has written in. He has written in. Called me out on it. So here I am, like, <laughs> listening to this and giving myself 30 lashes for, <sighs> for completely missing low-hanging fruit. And uh, he sends I've this- heard that about me. <laughs> He, he he emailed this. So I wanted to, to just read this email really quickly before we go into Chris, because we're going to end it with Chris and with Sam and their misconception and then just sort of get out of here, if you're cool okay. with that. You cool with that? Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, you're not. It sounds like you're not cool with that. No, I just, I'm just, it's one of our live on air production meetings. Oh, you know what? No, there's stuff we may want to add at the end. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, I want to read this email, seeing as I've started Yes, go for it. Hurry up. So, subject says, or the subject reads, another great episode, exclamation point. That's the number one way to get us to read emails. Yes. Yeah, if you, if you want us to read an email, be very complimentary. 
on the subject, if you don't want us to read the email, say, uh, hey, guys, let me tell you how to do your job. That's a subject <laughs> that you don't want to use. Or just write invoice. In, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. We pay our invoices. <laughs> so it says, uh, hello, gentlemen. Let me let me start by saying I'm a little disappointed with you both. I know. I, I read that opening sentence yeah, and, yeah, and I no, did. No. I hung my head. <laughs> I hung my big head. It says, you completely whiffed on the opportunity for a great dick joke. When Joshua said to Jason, I don't want to give you too big a head, I sat there anxiously waiting for the comeback. <laughs> that says more about Dan than it does about us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and nothing. You received nothing. He goes, He's nice. telling us nothing came. <laughs> well, I did. Um, anyway. And he goes on and says, anyway. with, uh, with so many directions you could have gone, it was like a slow-pitch softball just waiting to be crushed. But no, you guys are better than that. <laughs> Man, I've never had a stern talking to before about missing a dick joke. <laughs> Shame. Uh, Shame. Okay. Shame. Uh, uh, it's always it, the penis with Dan Grison. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on, he says, uh, second, very interesting to hear that Jason's first job was as an international operator. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this what. will not die. <laughs> i tell you what else I missed. I missed the opportunity to use Chardet's Smooth Operator <laughs> song <laughs> while, you were, while we were talking about that. Smooth Operator. So he says, if, if you had to think about it, he's come full circle as you both are, in a way, international operators now. I mean, you bottle and sell whiskey internationally. Okay, that was my cheesy dad joke for the day. And then, I'm going to give out my business card. Jason Johnston yelling, international operator. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how I see myself. And he ends it off and he says... I'm glad you see that as, as yourself. And he goes on and he says, uh, huh. so seriously, I was amazed as always with your content and anxiously await part two. In the meantime, just had a silly question, which stemmed from this episode. Is there a legitimate reason why the U.S. insists on a mm. 750 milliliter bottle? And on that note, if the world were to agree on a size, be it 700 or 750 milliliter, which would you prefer and why? Thanks again for another great episode. Keep up the great work. And this is what I will say, Dan, and anybody who's interested in hearing the answer to that question, we will answer that question later on in the episode after we hear from Chris Udy. What do you think of that, Jason? Beautiful. Right? It keeps people listening. And it stays them on the edge of their seat. They, they pay for the whole seat. All they need is the edge. I feel like we give them the seat for free. Fuck, we do. Yep. Please send checks. <laughs> Payable <laughs> to One Nation Under Whiskey. <laughs> okay, is it finally time it for is. Chris Udy? It is. It's finally time for the good Chris Udy of Impex Beverages. Boom. Yes. So, so, Mr. Japanese Whiskey. <laughs> Son. <laughs> 
if that was racist, let me know. And I'll no, it's, it's just hilarious because I'm going to say, yeah, what you want to know, man. <laughs> Let's connect it this way. Sam, you, you had talked about 2020 potentially looking at bringing some of our Japanese whiskeys into Canada. Can you talk about that project and, and how a California importer <laughs> is getting Japanese whiskey into Canada? Or is it or is that not the case? Like how is that happening? And then let's let's drill into Japanese whiskey a little bit. We had a few direct inquiries from Manitoba Liquor Commission mm-hmm. and I think from I don't remember, somewhere else from <laughs> from, from Canada that their distributors that were interested to represent our whiskeys. And like I said, we have a distributor there that sells that in a particular part of Canada, but we were talking about expansion. I will need to look into this because that's new to us. And mm-hmm. since we're both now in agreement that this is going to be our project for 2020, mm-hmm. we will start approaching distributors in Canada as well as uh, liquor commission. But you guys don't own this distillery? No. So why is it they're coming to you? Rather than to the distillery, because Sam's so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, Thank you, Christopher. dear listeners. <laughs> no, so um, we are. You I mean, see where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, I see where you're going with it. You so because I'm a I'm a master of uh, interrogation <laughs> and inquisition. Inquisition, let's begin the Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission to convert the Jews. Yeah, so um, it's weird. I can't, like, when, when I start to talk about it, I, I get a little bit confused as to angle by which to talk about it because it's a very personal thing. Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, like, I absolutely love whiskey. I love yeah. all whiskey. Yeah. I have my preferences here and there and, you know, my style Mm-hmm. doesn't always match with what other people are doing but mm-hmm. but in general like I love whiskey and I love to watch the evolution of it and to expand mm-hmm. and the best way that I I can put it into words is you know we remember when we were struggling to sell single cask 17 year old unchill filtered really good distillery stuff mm-hmm. and we were selling for like $35 wholesale good and gosh. people would tell us get out of my store it's too expensive no one will ever buy it and these are casts that, if they were made available to us now at the price they were made available to us then, yeah. we would just be like, okay, we are buying everything. <laughs> we're leveraging the, the house, the kids, the wife, everything to buy as many of those as we could. And yeah. it's and you know, as Sam and I have worked together over eleven years, we've seen this evolution of whiskey that's just absolutely been remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it got us to thinking, like. You know, if, if you look at the history of wine, they've been doing wine for, what, 8,000 years? Mm-hmm. And the f- first written record of whiskey is from 1494, yeah. where the friar John Cor was ordered to make eight bowls of malt by the dude out, by the king, and blah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I can't do the math right now because of the Kilhoman, but it's not yeah, You that. have to double it to get to the proof. No. <laughs> the amount of time, slick. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's, it's what, five, five, six hundred years? Six, 520 years, right? Ish. Yes, ish. You might have to go in and say, this is the actual math that went... Anyways, <laughs> so we've only been making whiskey that long. And yeah, there were, I mean, Ushkaba before then and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But you really only read about aged whiskeys from the mid-1700s, right? And blended whiskeys didn't come in until 1823-ish. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really... 
to, to think that whiskey's been mastered is, is almost, it's almost comical. Whiskey is great, mm. but again, it's, it's ever-evolving and it's ever-changing. It's going mm. to be expanding. So I, I personally believe, we personally believe, that whiskey's still in its infancy. And yeah. it has room to not necessarily get better, but to expand and be multi, like a bouquet. Hmm. Like we currently, let's, let's refer to bourbon as roses and, and scotch whiskey as violets, like two yeah. very beautiful flowers. Well, yeah. that's two flowers of, of a potential bouquet that, can, that is limitless in its expansion. And, um, and that was a long tirade about nothing. But you wanted to talk about the category of the Japanese whiskeys that we're bringing into the country outside of the Matsui and the Kudayoshi. And that's um, the Japanese rice whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Well, rice is a grain. Yep. And it makes for awesome whiskey. Yeah. And it's something that's been touched on. Like Jim Beam did a red rice bourbon. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Trace in their experimental collections, they did a, they did a bourbon where one of the grains was rice. Mm-hmm. And, but, but no one's really ever explored that grain and the potential of it mm-hmm. on a different scale. And if you look at Japan, you know, it's, it is a place where a lot of rice is consumed. Mm-hmm. And it is a place where rice is very deeply part of the culture, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know part of the lifestyle, part of the culture, and being part of the culture and being able to be distilled and oak aged and and becoming into its its own new beautiful flower. Mm-hmm. Let's call it cherry blossom or sakura. Mm-hmm. It is an expansion of that bouquet, and we had the opportunity to we were privy to some casts that were in the south of Japan, mm-hmm. and. Um, and they were stellar. And we decided that, like, we learned that these casts were not bottled in their natural state due to laws made in the 1980s um, when Margaret Thatcher came over from the UK to renegotiate Scotch whiskey import tariffs with the Japanese government. And so that juice had been lost to, literally, to politics and to history. And so, so you're saying the distillery produced this stuff and law- laws changed in the 80s, which force the producers just to not bottle it no they 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 could bottle it but they had to bottle it under very specific rules where they had to remove the color that the oak gave the whiskey yep so that if you shot it with a beam of light it's it doesn't reflect x amount of particles or whatever so basically you've got to make it translucent to the point where it almost looks like a very very light straw yellow water okay and then it can pass. And then it can be bottled as the category it was originally designed to be distilled at, which, which is something called shochu. Yeah. Not to be confused with soju. That's a very different thing. But shochu, which is done in Japan, and there are hundreds of distilleries that do this, and they mm-hmm. all make wonderful stuff. And the distillate, the focus of that was on the distillate itself. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's very particular in how they do it, and it's, it's a wonderful beverage. And I... I, I I beg anyone who ever has a chance to go to Japan to spend a few days just exploring that category on its own yeah. because it's, it's wonderful. But these casks and these producers were taking this, this wonderful distillate they were making and putting it into oak, and they were originally bottling it with that oak influence on it at full tilt. Mm. And the laws that were made in those negotiations in the mid-1980s made it to where that became prohibited to do. And so that juice was lost. So these producers are still producing it, but anything they go to bottle has to go through the process of stripping out all that oak influence. So, okay. But back, 
back to it. Why didn't they? What told them to say, you know what? We don't want to do this. We're going to hold this. Because you found all of these casks. And I know it's stuff like up to 27, 28, 29, you know, whatever, upper 20s. Why didn't they just take the color out, dilute it to 25% alcohol, slap a shochu sticker on it, and just make their money? Well, a lot of that has happened. So believe it or not, a lot of these casks have gone that way. However, there were a lot of casks remaining. And, you know, we were privy to get to try them. And when we tried them, you know, we thought that they were beautiful. Mm. In their own right, they're beautiful. It's an expansion of the pie. You know, you'll never get me to say, if you get me really drunk, I might say it about one particular whiskey at that day, and then I'll change my mind the next (laughs) day. But Mm. I don't believe any whiskey is better than another whiskey. I think that it's all part of that bouquet of flowers. Okay. And this was just something that could be an expansion of the pie, an exploration of new flavors, which is what, on a personal level, I'm always looking for, is where is the, where is the next thing? Where is something that's, that's new and that's intriguing? Mm-hmm. And, and from us, from a business standpoint, we want to be inclusive in our portfolio to make sure that we are, uh, again, the products that we represent are are awesome in their own mm-hmm. right, and so that can transfer through. And these casts just fit that bill. So, you know, we go to Japan, and we negotiate with the owners of both companies, and we ask for permission to bottle them in their original state. And both companies remember that they used to do this. Yeah. One in particular, Oisan. Oisan's father used to do it specifically and, and bottled some really dark stuff. He loved sherry cask influence. Yeah. And Oisan himself loves whiskey. So, you know, for him, when we were asking him permission to do it, he said, you know, we're we're really not allowed to. And we said, Mm -hmm. if we figure out the way to do it, do you mind? He goes, no, if you can do it the way that my father used to do it before all these laws were passed that were specifically passed to kind of keep us out of that category, go for it. Okay. And, And so it took two years, I think, that we worked on it. And we, we found a way that for export market only, we could put it in its natural state. You know, no water added to it, yeah. and we could bring it to the United States that way. And now, at that point, because of the way the category is set up, they're not in a huge expansion of production where they're trying to. There's no anticipation of this, mm. of this going on a global scale. Mm-hmm. So the stocks really aren't there for that. Okay. And they are, they are from the south, like I am from the south. Like if you look at a latitude line, they hit about North Georgia, Tennessee. Huh. And I'm a little bit south, more southern than that. And the, yeah. the flora, the fauna, the yeah. temperature, everything's the exact same as if it were in Georgia. Okay. And um, they kind of do business on a handshake and trust. And it's, it's been great. And so when they got calls from, I want to think, 33 other countries, they told all 33 countries, they're like, no, um, we have a great relationship with Impex. And that's who we're happy to do business with. Wow. So that's what's going to allow us to expand it out to Canada, to Canada. when we're oh, ready. Okay, okay. But, Good. but to be honest, like, you know, there are stocks there, but there's, it's not like there's not, there's not a whiskey lock to be found. Yeah, down in yeah, the south of Japan. What is there is yeah. there. What's there is there, and and there's more stuff being filled. And, yeah, and it's just it's just amazing product because you know, like recently, Fukano-san has some awesome stuff, and we have some yeah. really cool stuff coming out later on this year. Some age statement, like sixteen-year-old yeah. sherry cask and fourteen-year-old single cask. It's going to be really nice. And then Oisan specifically has always been a little bit innovative in everything that he does. Like he recently just bought five seventy-five-year-old sherry casks huh. that smell like the old Macallan Leleks. 
Wow. And we've put some 16-year-old stuff in there that we're going to let sit, I think, until the 150th anniversary, which comes up in 2022. Okay. And then we'll, we'll bottle that then. I mean, of course, Sam and I will be test, taste testing it on the way there just yeah, to make course. sure that, you know, it's, it's what we're looking for. Well, yeah. You don't, you don't want it to... Yeah. Um, no one likes their fruit overripe. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone likes to sample when they can. But we, um, we want to just, like, there's exploration in, in Sacco Barrels, Mizunara casks, rum. We've done some rum casks. We've done some new oak. Isla Madeira, casks, too, right? Isla casks. Yeah. yeah, we have some casks that um, we, yeah, those are great. We took some stuff and left it in sherry for years and then moved over to Isla cask to get a little bit wow. of smoke to it. Yeah, uh, we just got some Banyuls cask, which is a French fortified wine, oh. which might be ready in 2020. We'll see. Is it's it a port a cask? Fortified wine, closer to port or Madeira, like or closer, closer to, to sherry. sherry. Okay, so yeah. drier in style. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I need to go buy a bottle of it and really yeah, right? explore it. <laughs> <laughs> it Look good on paper. We we're like, go for it. But he, you know, he's. He's progressive and he's innovative and he's in a town of less than 2,500 people mm. and he's in the middle of nowhere. You can't take a train there. You take a train and then you get in a car for 40 minutes to get there. Yeah. And that's after you've taken two planes just to get into Japan and get down to the south where you yeah. can get the train to get to him. And it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's cool. And it wouldn't be a right on our part as people who love whiskey to not bring that to market for people mm. who might connect with it. And there, there is a mixed bag with it. There are people who are, you know, whiskey from rice, oh, that's sacrilegious. And all I have to say about that is, you know, they, they used to not want to let women vote. Like, uh-huh. you, you, <laughs> yeah. things change, man. Yeah. Like, move forward. Like, don't, don't limit yourself. Don't be narrow-minded. Like, if you love something, that's awesome. But don't think that that's the be-all, end-all. Like, enjoy that and enjoy other things at the same time. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I you know, I sell the stuff and I I do quite a lot of tastings, and I remember first time I've ever had Yamazaki, and that first time I had Yamazaki was I think it was their sherry cask. No, it was a twelve year old, and then I started getting the sherry cask. This was two thousand five ish, somewhere around there, two thousand six. Yeah, it was, a, it was available for $37 at that yeah, time. right? Yamazaki 12. Yeah. And I got this, and I said, I forget who suggested it to me, but I trusted their suggestion, tried it out, fell in love with it. thought it was fantastic. And I started showing it to people, and I say, Japanese whiskey? And then, and then inevitably they, they would say, and you, have, you really have to pay attention to the tone in my voice, Japanese whiskey? What is that made from rice? <laughs> like, like all of a sudden that's making a whiskey from rice is in the pejorative, right? And then all of a sudden, come 2013, Jim Murray says, uh, Yamazaki Sherry Cast is the best whiskey in the world. And now everybody knows Yamazaki and buys everything. And what was once a $37 bottle is now a $120 bottle. What was once a $90 18-year-old is now, I don't even want to throw the number out there, uh, and so on. So, so the Japanese um, whiskey market is booming. It's massive. And so I, I tell this story when I'm doing it, tasting this whole, what is it, whiskey made from rice? And it used to be said... 
questioned in the pejorative. Like, this is a ne- I'm asking you a negative question. And now I find, I say, this is whiskey from rice. So they say, oh, wow, that's cool. When it used to be, what is it? Whiskey made from rice. So what I'm sort of uh, taking a long way to saying is, I think the consumer base is evolving, which is cool. There's always um, plenty of road to go down to everybody's always evolving. However, as the Japanese whiskey market grows, you're getting whiskey consumers from all over the world. Everybody's online. Everybody's traveling. They're coming to America. They buy a bottle of Fucano. They post it on some Facebook page. And someone says, that's not whiskey. That's just dark shochu. Or that's not whiskey. You can't use koji when you ferment. Now, real quick for our listeners, traditionally, whiskey is beer that's been distilled. How do you make the beer? You use grains, yeast, and water. Now, in this case, this is grains, yeast, water, and something called koji, which, I don't know, seems to make people, some, some people panic. Let me interrupt you so that we can, I can cover a couple of things that you touched Please, on. Please, yeah, good. Because you, you, anyone that knows me knows that I get hit with a raw nerve when someone starts talking about this category. <laughs> yeah. Because I love the category so much. To answer your first thing about people saying whiskey made from rice or that's just dark shochu, I will tell you this story. And this is an absolute true story. I was sitting in a bar in Ginza with my wife having, uh, having Han Yu's King of Diamonds. Mm. Yeah, the card series, which yeah. is now what? Eight thousand dollars a bottle or something. Yep. Around I paid fifteen dollars for the shot, and I was sitting there enjoying it. And a guy next to me says, "What are you doing?" This is a Japanese man that said it to me. "What are you doing drinking that Japanese swill when they have all of this great Scotch whiskey?" Wow! And that was something I took to heart in in my personal pursuit of whiskey because I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And it was at a time before Japanese whiskey had earned, it was before 2013, it was before, yeah. I used to buy the Yamazaki Sherry single cast for 80, for 8,000 yen, which was about $75 US. Jeez. And I'd buy a chunk of them, and my wife would say, you have enough, and she was right, I had enough. And we drank <laughs> through them, and they were great. And there's been a lot of Japanese whiskeys that were great. And, I, and I, I bought as many as I could, and I tried as many as I could, and that guy saying that to me is, you know, it was his opinion, and he's validated in having his opinion, mm-hmm. but it was only ever his opinion. And anyone that says, you know, well, that's just, that's just dark shochu, why was it made illegal then? Whatever the reason was why they changed the laws where it couldn't be bottled that way, yeah. it wasn't because it tasted bad. Yeah. It's not like right. they said, oh, you can't do this because it tastes awful. There was an ulterior motive there to make it to where you couldn't bottle it that way. So just let's, let's, let's get beyond that and just focus on, is the juice in the glass good? If it is, that's really all that matters at the end of the day yeah. as far as the rice distillate goes. And it really is good. And while there are a few people who don't necessarily want to embrace it, there's a whole other ch- section of folks that do want to embrace it. Is that gonna, that's going to come through, isn't it? That's definitely going to come through. So to the other section of it, when you talk about koji, Part of this process that when I'll take a wee bit more, yeah. Oh, cheers, guys. Are, are we killing this? Okay, go for yeah, it. Yeah, let's kill it. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. All right, koji and whiskey. For the people that naysay about koji, 
There's a little bit of history that involves the United States that they all need to be made aware of. And this was something that we learned. Before you say this, can you just tell people what Koji is? It's, it's, it's awesome. Koji is, it's, it's a mold and it's a, I forget the scientific name for it because you know me, I ain't a learning man. <laughs> I don't work that way. The, um, but it helps with digestion. Okay. You use it for... Uh, you use it for making miso. You can use it for making soy sauce. You use it for a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And it's good for the digestion. It's kind of good for the body. Like Japan is a blue zone. People live to be a million years old. And they a lot of them think it has to do with, with, with koji, koji and, and their cuisine. Okay. And to talk about koji with whiskey, you know, it's, it's, it's more in our DNA than we really ever realized. Everyone talks about Takatsuru-san being the godfather of Japanese whiskey, and he absolutely mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is the first written record of whiskey in Japan in the same sentence predates him by, by 30 years. Wow. It goes back to 1892 to the Chicago Tribune where a guy named Takamine-san, who eerily enough was a lot like Takatsuru-san in the fact that he went to a foreign land, picked up a wife from that foreign land, and kind of just did that, whereas Takatsuru-san went to Campbellton, met a Scottish bride, brought her back to Japan, and started all the stuff, wonderful stuff that he did, which yeah. was absolutely wonderful. Takamine-san came to the United States, married an American woman, and set up shop in uh, Chicago, in Peoria, hmm. doing the diastases pro- process. He was in, in Illinois, and I think in Peoria. Diastases process? Yeah, is what he called it. That's the way I read it. It's probably pronounced another way. Again, I ain't a learned man. But... <laughs> In my research yeah. for the project that we were working on, I found this reference to him. And what he did was he worked with a company called the Whiskey Trust. And he came to them and he said, the way you're currently malting grain or cooking your grains, I can give you a 15% better yield on the grain and give you a better spirit by using my koji process. Huh. And so the Chicago Tribune writes, Takamine and his Japanese whiskey process. Wow. Yeah. And he did it. They set up a distillery called the Manhattan Distillery. They ran it for over six months. And in that six the months... Manhattan they ran Distillery it, in, Chicago? in Chicago? In Peoria. Peoria, okay. Yeah, I think right. in Peoria. You'll have to go and check the facts yeah. on that because it's been a while since I read it. Yeah. And he did yield a 15% better yield. And the contract that he had with the Whiskey Trust is he got a percentage of the extra profit earned off that extra 15% yield. Mm. Now, they set it up. They proved it worked. However, the Whiskey Trust went into receivership. Because the higher-ups in the Whiskey Trust were using the reserves for their own personal spending, and things just went bust. The guys, poor management. Yeah, poor management. The guys who took over it didn't want to deal with him. And by, I want to say it was, I'm not going to say the year because I can't remember, but the Chicago Tribune writes about, again, writes about him again, and it goes from the Takamine's Japanese whiskey process to the Japs whiskey process. So you can see where things are starting to change. We're also having the temperance movement come in, right? Yeah. And so the guys at Pumalau receivership, they said, you know know what? We're not going to pay you for anything. We're keeping the patents. You can kick rocks. Well, he sues them. And he he wins. And he takes his process and he says, you know what? You guys are all bananas. I'm tired of dealing with whiskey folks. Mm. Moves to Chicago or moves to New York, isolates the adrenal gland in horses, which is then used for surgeries as um, an anesthetic. Well. And that's where he makes his money. And that's where he ended his career. And he became famous in the medical industry. Wow. But that koji process for a use of converting grains to sugars and to help yeast to ferment on those grains Mm -hmm. dates back into the late 1800s to the United States. 
Wow. So when anyone says, oh, I can't use Kojin to make whiskey, kick rocks. It was done over 100 years ago. And had it not been for poor management and maybe a little bit of racism, it could have been the way that all of our whiskeys were made today. Wow. So again, you hit a raw nerve, and so I kind of go off on this tangent, <laughs> only because, yeah. not because they're not allowed to have that opinion. They absolutely are. But because I think it's narrow-minded in the fact that, you know, whiskey should always be an ever-expanding thing. My personal pursuit, as far yeah. as whiskey goes, is to see it blossom into a bouquet. Yeah. And this is just another flower in that bouquet. And the yeah. people that are going to love it are going to love it. And the people that don't, it's fine. There's not that much of it to be had anyways. But it's definitely something to be experienced. And we think that we're in the right in the fact that we now see a distillery in Brooklyn distilling this way. Yeah. We have a distillery in Oregon distilling from rice. And yeah. then there was another one that just started using the koji process over in, I want to say Denmark or the Netherlands. I mean, I don't know. It, you can look it in, okay. and, but it, they're using koji over there to make whiskey. San Diego Distillery did it too. San Diego Distillery yeah. made one from rice. He didn't use any koji, but Trent... No, but he made, he, yeah, yeah. Might, you know, rice again, back, uh, back, back to rice where... And like you said before, but which the, is also awesome, right? Because yeah. then it's rice without the koji, so it's another flower in the bouquet. And then yeah, rice with yeah. the koji is a flower in the bouquet. Yeah. So now we're expanding out from where it is. Like the old ways are awesome; they make beautiful flowers. The new ways are also going to make beautiful flowers. And to bring back, we are very proud in the fact that we are bringing juice back to the people that hasn't been enjoyed for over thirty years. Mm. And the people that enjoy it, it's like, let's enjoy it together. And the people that don't, no worries. Yeah. There's plenty of bottles to be had. Yeah. Nice. So I, I want to, there's one last thing I want to touch on. And then I have a final question for the both of you, okay? So we all know single malt, right? I don't want to touch on what Japanese single malt is. Single malt whiskey made in Japan. But then there's another, and uh, dare I say, a much wider category of Japanese whiskey, and maybe I'm wrong in that statement, but of Japanese pure malt in the pure malt whiskey category, which which you taught me dates back decades, yeah. right? That's so, correct. Yeah. So, it, you know, people, again, now because 2013, Jim Murray says a nice thing about a whiskey, people are drinking Japanese whiskey, we're now... Uh, many cultures of of people who um, want to know what's in their glass and how it got to be made. And sometimes not wanting to understand the history of it, but at least knowing, okay, uh, how is this peanut butter sandwich made? Oh, two pieces of bread, peanut butter and jelly? Okay, cool. Um, what's in my whiskey? So for decades, you had the, the category of Japanese pure malt, which is Get whiskey from anywhere you could, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, bring it to Japan, dilute it with Japanese water, and sell it as Japanese whiskey. And my understanding was this was done because the demand of whiskey in Japan was greater than what Japan's distilleries could. Pr no, okay, no. good. So, good. um, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not right either. But my understanding of it was. You could, so the, the pure malts or, or Japanese whiskeys that aren't single malts made at a particular distillery, mm -hmm. um, they're, and, and I'm not going to talk about any specifics, 
any specific brands. But if you look at Whiskey Base and some interviews that happened with a couple master distillers from Scotland, and if you look mm. at a few other places, like you can kind of piece it together. But that's that's nitpicking because I want people to focus on what's in the glass, and that should be paramount. Flavor. Yeah, flavor. Yeah. But it's not cheap to produce whiskey on any level. Mm-hmm. And you can have some of the stuff that you've done domestically, and maybe you bring in some stuff from an external source where you're able to procure it at a more affordable price. Mm-hmm. so that you can get it to the consumer in a wonderful fashion at a lower cost, mm-hmm. right? There's an option there. And contract distilling dates back for as long as distilling has been going on. Yep, It still goes on nowadays, and it's, it's... Think about it like this. If you're a chef, maybe not all the ingredients were grown in your backyard, mm-hmm. but the way you put it together and the way you serve that final dish, that is your signature. And that's the way I look at the Japanese pure malts in that, in that it was them taking some of the stuff they did, or maybe if it was just their water, or maybe if it was even just their oak, or whatever it was, and they're taking stuff that someone else did wonderfully, and they're putting their signature on it. So do you get single cast nation, five bucks. Single cast nation, five bucks. <laughs> three, he's got a special yeah, discount. Single cast nation doesn't distill anything, but they make awesome whiskey they find whiskey and they bottle it in a fashion that is a single cast nation signature and it's something wonderful they're bringing to the people and that's that's great right like that expands the pie it's another flower in the bouquet the pure malts from many different companies can provide that now Mm -hmm. it's up to the consumer to decide if they like the way that it shows or if they want to if they want to choose to drink something else but but at the end of the day if what's in the glass and what's in the bottle is good, that should really be all that matters. And I agree. And and I I may have talked about it on the podcast before where I where I likened Japanese pure malt, whether it's from Nika, Suntory, Matsui with, with Kuriyoshi, Ichiro san does it, you know, has has pure malt stuff, I think. Mars has done so. Anyway. Yeah, Ichiro so has his malt and grain, yeah, which malt is and grain. five different countries. Yeah, where I can compare them to John Glazer. He's making beautiful blends with the components he can get his hands on. And, and, and then you distill that comment down and it gets down to flavor, right? He's making a great product given the components that he has. Now, with John Glazer mostly producing scotch whiskey. Now he's starting to blend Calvados with with whiskey and you know doing his his weird his weird stuff. He has to operate within the confines of the laws uh, as they pertain to scotch whiskey as outlined by the Scotch Whiskey Association. Okay? Now the laws around Japanese pure malt are their laws. Right, and it almost sounds like the Wild West. And yeah. if there are, like, like who ca- who and who came up with this category? Like, what could be pure malt, and and why? Well, well, pure malt. You know, a lot of single malt distilleries in Scotland and in Japan used, used to use, yeah. use the word yeah. pure malt yeah. for everything. But but my understanding of it is that it goes back to the mid '80s, where the same the same negotiations with Margaret Thatcher, where it changed it to where Japanese whiskey only needed to be modified and bottled in Japan. And, and it might not even need to be bottled there, but but 
That was my understanding. It just needs to be modified and bottled in Japan. So a lot of casks would come over from external sources, mm-hmm. rest over there, and then it would be bottled as pure malt that way. Mm-hmm. And you could put different distilleries together, and that was absolutely fine. But again, that's, that's kind of losing focus. So I understand everybody wants to know exactly what was in the glass because we're in a day and age of information, mm-hmm. and people want to be a part of it, and they want to feel like they're a part of it. Yeah. But it's also important to recognize that nobody knows exactly what casks go into a Macallan 12, right? So maybe some of it's 12, maybe some of it's 13, maybe some of it's 14. Nobody knows exactly what went into like some of the super famous vatting, like Moidart, right? Which is rumored to have a whole bunch of old spring bank in it and a whole, uh, but it was a yeah. pure malt, had a couple yeah. other things in there as well, right? And, and I get that people want to know, but at the end of the day, just 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 trust in trust in the juice and yeah. try not to control it so much. Let it go and just enjoy it. Like don't. It, it's hard to explain to someone if you're not able to do it. That's that's okay, but just just try to remember. Like at the end of the day, it's something that we put into our bodies, and if we enjoy the flavor, we should be fine. Mm-hmm. Do you see any challenges to the way existing laws in Japan? Um, you know, are, are configured? Do you do you see potential change because of public pushback, or or do you think people are going to, you know, in in a sense, heed your advice and say, "Wait, is this good whiskey?" Then who cares? I think again that goes back to when Sam and I were talking about the different states here in the U.S. It's kind of not our concern. Our job is to mm. find good juice and bring it to people who are going to enjoy it. Yeah. And so if there's change, we will change with it. And if they don't, then then it's fine. As right. long as we're doing what we need to do from our end, we're covered. Cool. Jason, before I go, before I back it up <laughs> and... <laughs> that's what I always say. You got to go forward before you can back it up. I think that's a, a statement as old as time. I forgot to mention previously the whiskey that I accidentally poured mm-hmm. when you poured your Oishi Sherry cast. But before I talk about that, we, we've got to give a huge thanks to Chris. No doubt. Yeah. And, and again, to Sam, you were interviewing the two of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how we managed to get a two-part episode going. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, sincere thanks to them for, for making themselves available, especially with so much traveling that you were all doing on yeah, Isla. I know. And, uh, and then just kind of taking a late night to sit with some drams and have a chat about the industry, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very much appreciated. Yeah, it was... It was Traveling with them was great. And, and like I said, back to the way Chris thinks, I really enjoyed how we referred to different kinds of whiskeys as a different flower in a bouquet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how each one has its own beauty. And yeah. uh, there's yeah, a smart way to talk about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So, yeah, Chris, I also want to mm-hmm. add in mostly because we, we talked about Sam's support in part one knowing that we'd get to Chris in part two. Mm-hmm. But Chris has been a huge supporter of Single Cast Nation uh, in and around LA, in and around California. Oh, yeah. And we also sincerely thank him for that support. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, it sounds like he's just recently come to One Nation Under Whiskey as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sounds like he's about to be a... A huge supporter of One Nation Under Whiskey podcast as well. So thanks yeah. to Udi for that too. Yeah. He's, a, yeah. he's a great and, lad. And, and, and I just, I want Chris to know, because now he does listen to this show with regularity, 
that even though he was part two, that doesn't mean he was sloppy seconds. We just had to split it up. We did. We did. We still got cleaned up between the two parts, but he wasn't sloppy seconds. He was not sloppy seconds. No. <laughs> so do you know what I poured? Uh, I know it's Fucano. I'm not sure which release of Fucano you poured. So I'm going to preface this by saying this is perhaps, and I will say maybe one or two Karazawas aside, one Chichibu aside, and one Hanyu aside. <laughs> right? So all in all... Beautifully set up, John. Right? Beautifully. <laughs> beautifully. As far as modern... Japanese whiskeys are concerned. This Fukano is my favorite Japanese whiskey. Uh, it is the 12 year old single cask. Mm. And that was from a, I think it was all new charred oak. And the reason why I love it is it noses and tastes like old Stitzel Weller juice. Hmm. Like an old 70s, 70s, 80s, not like old tax strip uh, bourbons, you know, wow. that you just don't find these like beautiful flavors and scents in, in bourbon too much anymore. Man, um, I have never experienced this bottle despite being at your house somewhat regularly. Say what? Yeah, I'm a little upset right now. Oh my gosh! I'm, I'll yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll bring it to Campbelltown and Isla with me. Oh gosh! You and I will kill that bottle while we're in Scotland. Oh boy! And I think uh, Ms. Jessica Lomas and Mr. Christopher Hallstrom will greatly enjoy you bringing that to our accommodation. I, I said you and I will finish it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jess and Sweet Scott, I did my best for you, but I, I have epically failed this day. Uh, no, of course, of course. Sharing is caring, Jason. That's what you say. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to get to... Do you want to get to news first before we answer Dan's question? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a, a brief bit of news, kind of that industry insight, and I think uh, for the first time in a little while, we'll wake up the paper boy. Yeah, he's he's been pretty comfortable. Time to wake his punk ass up. You and I share the industry side of things on this podcast, mm -hmm. and we're pretty honest about it. We have started, thankfully, finally, shipping out the wild turkey, nine-year-old and ten-year-old, that we've been fortunate to bottle and sell mm -hmm. via lottery. And we had one round of delays on that when we lost our production manager from the bottling hall. Mm-hmm. These are the industry things that you have to take in stride. Sometimes it's a government shutdown. Sometimes it's your bottler selling up in Scotland. Uh, this happened to be somebody leaving their job as production manager, moving on. So we got a new date, thankfully, fortunately, later than our previous date. Mm -hmm. We then had a miracle. Ah. For the first time ever, our product made it from Kentucky to San Francisco in 24 hours. Now, sometimes it's a week. One time it was a month. It, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Right? I like have that no whole sense. That one time it was a month, they couldn't find the trailer. Uh huh. That, it, yep. that 
that was in you know in in the yard somewhere. And this time around, <laughs> uh, you know, they sh- they probably should have brought a milkshake to the yard. Oh, because damn right, it's no, that didn't work. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, in twenty four hours, I want to put that volcano down, mate. I think you've uh, been hitting the volcano <laughs> a little hard there. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Oh. But, but, I know, I know the song. The connection was atrocious. That was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was a disaster. I know. I said yard, you know. Anyway. Knock it off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So, some, sometimes it's sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's 10 days. This was 24 hours for some inexplicable mm-hmm. reason, which was great news. A miracle happened this day. Mm-hmm. And then our key shipper, uh, our, our key chap on the line, Handed in his notice and left his job. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable. This is... We were talking, you know, to to a friend about this, where you get into the business to select whiskey, to bottle whiskey, to Mm -hmm. champion whiskey. Mm -hmm. Whiskey focus, whiskey focus, whiskey focus. And then the logistics just kick your butt day in, day out. There's always something that needs attention. There's always something that needs reworked. Mm-hmm. So, so the good news is, uh, all of the wild turkey, all of the American light whiskey uh, that we released yesterday, is all sitting in San Francisco. Yes, and we've got to slow down on our shipper uh, as we bring in a new guy, get or gal. We've had gals in the past who have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've got a new hire going on there. We've got somebody else learning the ropes over there now. And, yeah. And just when we need it to be sped up, it's going to slow down. So so there's there's full disclosure for the listeners. We always are honest about the industry. We're always honest and transparent as much as we can be mm-hmm. about what we're experiencing behind the scenes. Yeah. And we go from somebody giving up a job to 24-hour shipment to somebody else giving up a job yeah. across two different states. So that was a bit of sad news, but news that we're working through. Bottles are shipping. All yep. that's good. Light whiskey will be going on sale. Actually, by the time this episode airs, yep. the light whiskey will have been on sale on our online shop. That's batch exactly. one. Batch two will start hitting store shelves, uh, which is good. Yep. Uh, but there's there's some bright news that I wanted to tell people about. Please. So we have been sitting on, well not not literally, but you know what I mean. We've been sitting Bad on... Bad joke. <laughs> oh, this hurts. Why am I sitting on it? <laughs> um, we had been sitting on nine casks of scotch whiskey. And we'd been waiting for our bottling hall. We'd been waiting for labels to get approved. Uh, we have a new bot, right? A, a, another peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. We now have two new bottling halls in Scotland, where we once had, we once had one. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our old bottling hall is no longer in operation, <laughs> and now we have two bottling halls: one that will bottle stuff for the U.S., one that will bottle stuff for the U.K. and and Europe and and such. Anyway, keep now- it bright. Yeah, no, just, 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 I want, I want to let people know about nine whiskeys that are going to be coming, eight of which are going to hit retail shelves and one of which, and we've mentioned the one, 
uh, is going to hit our online shop. Okay. Uh, so the eight retail bottlings, one will be a 26-year-old Cameron Bridge single grain scotch whiskey from a sherry butt. Then we have two different Klein leashes. We do. A which, nine and a 23. Yeah. The nine-year-old being first fill bourbon. The 23-year-old being a second fill sherry butt. That's and, crazy. 23 oh years and second fill sherry butt. And 240 on the shelf. That's nice. not bad for a 23-year-old Klein leash, right? Especially with a sherry connection. Right, yeah. Not exactly. even just refill bourbon for 23 years. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, that's nice. Good, that makes me happy. Yep. A 20-year-old Glenn Berge, which we're insanely excited about. And we had one particular friend and listener and longtime supporter in mind when we picked this one, the good Michael Nolan. Good man. Um, right? Glenn Berge is really, it's his favorite one of his favorite distilleries. I know when he collects, he goes after Glimbergi. What a fun thing to collect. Yeah. Speaking of collecting, the number one distillery I collect is Imperial. And you and I, sir, have just <laughs> bottled a 23-year-old Imperial. Awesome. Terrific um, news. Oh Absolutely brilliant news on that uh, front. Demolished distillery. Um, I love it because I think... It's so unique and so, I should have said this. Inarticulately. They're, yes, they inarticulately for sure. There are two distilleries that if you put their whiskeys in front of me, I can always tell you what it is. And that's any whiskey from the Springbank Distillery, whether it's Springbank, Longro, or Hazelburn, or Imperial. I, that's the, the two things I can blind nose. I can tell you if it's from those distilleries. So hmm. very excited about that. Fwa, fwa, fwa. Fwa, fwa, fwa. Um, then we have two Lechigs. Which is kind of funny the way this conversation has gone, because if I collect any distillery, it's Lechig. <laughs> 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 Man, we're really covering the bases uh -huh. on this release. And, and like the Klein Leash, uh, where you had a bourbon cask and a sherry cask, it's the same thing here. So we have a 13-year-old from a second fill sherry butt and a 15-year-old from a refill bourbon hogshead. Two very different whiskeys. They are. They really are. And as much as I prefer Le Chig and X bourbon, mm -hmm. there are special sherry matured versions of Le mm -hmm. Chig out there that are well worth seeking out. And when you and I tasted this sample, that's the exact conversation we had. Oh, where yeah. This is one of those Lechigs and Sherry that people will be looking for. Yeah, the, it's it's the type of whiskey that makes you feel tingly in your pants. You know? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then finally, a 42-year-old from an, another demolished distillery, Port Dundas. And there's a, there, I'm going to end a bit on a down note here. Uh, this is from a first fill bourbon hogshead. <laughs> but there the was, outturn is ridiculous. Yes. So we got, you know, the ABV is pretty high. It's like 51.7 or something like that. But we only got 95 bottles from the cask. Good grief. We didn't split the cask. We never nope. split casks. It just so happened that this cask had 95 bottles in it. Yeah, and that's, again, for the additional little peek behind the curtain for our listeners. In the United States, we buy whiskey by the barrel. 
and you try to get an your milkshake brings all the dogs to the yard and then right it's better than yours nola nola you're good nola lie down she always has one last word <laughs> when we buy whiskey in america we buy by the barrel and yeah. you try to get a sense of the volume to make sense of the number that's attached to that barrel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you wait until you've got the outturn to work out your pricing. It's a difficult way to do business. It, yes, I don't think it's a very smart way to do business. <laughs> it's not smart at all. No. But sometimes we taste some absolute peaches that we just have to get into glass and we <laughs> try and get a ballpark sense of, if it was this many bottles, it would be this price, would we stand by that? If it was this many bottles, it would be this price, would we stand by that? Mm-hmm. And we kind of figure out best case and worst case scenario. In purchasing in Scotland, we purchased by RLA, regaged liter of alcohol. There you go. Very good. And so that way, we didn't buy this cask of Port Dundas. We bought this volume of Port Dundas. Correct. We so, knew what we were getting into. Shana, they bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Now, you can have your RLA, you can know your price per RLA, it just then depends. Then you're waiting on the final volume as it's bottled. Well, yeah, so you're given RLA and you're given ABV. Mm-hmm. So if your alcohol is 51.7, what's left is, what, 48.3% of water and every other thing. I'm impressed you did that on the fly. That was good. Well done, Joshua. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And and then that gives you how much gross volume you have. You divide that by 0.75 to get the number of bottles that, that you will get. And, and there you go. And we mm-hmm. got to 95. Yeah, remarkable, isn't it? So a yeah. little tiny one. So that covers the eight casks mm-hmm. that are going into retail. Mm-hmm. And there's one more cask on the end of this that will be available online. There are two things that you and I wanted to bottle from the very beginning. We both wanted Imperial. Me, probably a bit more than you, but we definitely both wanted Imperial. I'm surprised you said two things that we wanted to bottle, because I can immediately think of four things that we wanted to bottle from day one. Oh, yeah, Highland Park was one. Mm Mm-hmm. And we've done that. Well, we've never bottled Highland Park. We've bottled Stones of Stenness. I don't know what you're talking about, Jason. That's very true. Wink. Uh, what was the third one? Uh, well, you haven't mentioned Springbank yet. We haven't mentioned Springbank yet, and we have not yet bottled a Springbank. That's that's very true. So so there's a there's a couple, and then you go Imperial. I, I wanted us to get an Imperial for your sake, and uh, and then yeah, we got an absolute cracker, and yeah. then the fourth year, Joshua. This is a 30-year-old Beaumore distilled in 1989. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just turned 30 years old in March. And it is, and we've mentioned it before on the podcast, it is of the FWP style. So very floral, lots of, lots of you know, notes of lavender and wildflowers. And there's 
like a, just a, an overall beautiful, pretty sweetness to it <laughs> with hints of like wafting smoke. Mm. And it is mm. so chewy. The spirit is so rich and flavorful and attractive. And it's not for everybody either, right? Not yeah, everybody which, loves this style of Beaumont. Yeah, which I think is a great thing for us to, to be able to say to people is, you know, you might, you might love it and you might not even like it. Mm. And that's perfectly fine. We are a-okay with that because it is a very unique standalone style of Bowmore. Mm-hmm. It is great because even in talking to David Turner, uh, current distillery manager and an avid collector of all things Bowmore, he is not a fan of FWP Bowmore's. No, no. In fact, he he even went so far as to say it's a flaw in mm-hmm. the distilling, which I've heard people say that same thing about Coroni rums. Mm. And those that love Coroni rums love Coroni, right? So it's it's this almost fetishist whiskey, yep. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh no, FWP is absolutely for the fetishists among us. Are are you down with FWP? Yes. You know me. <laughs> Come on, Jason. Dan Grison <laughs> is so upset with you right now. And and I'm not gonna lie, as am I. I'm starting to question our business relationship here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cracks are appearing. <laughs> episode, what, part two, episode six. Oh, this is going to be funny, actually. We've got new nomenclature to work on, because is this going to be season three, episode six, part two, that got its own week, which means we're going to come up a full episode shy in year three. No, I'm still going to call it episode seven. And part two. Yeah, just... I, I don't know. I, I didn't Ooh. call the first one part. We talked about, we are calling it part uh, one. okay. But nowhere in the title <sighs> and nowhere on the masthead does it say part one. Oh, that's tight. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, I like yeah. consistent nomenclature, so okay. this makes me happy. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, yep. anyway, that part of the production meeting is over. Um, <laughs> what I'm especially excited about with this 89 Bowmore is nobody has seen the label. Yes. And... Uh, we purposely blacked out all of the art. Now, you can go to the TTB. In fact, please go to the TTB and check out all of the details of this whiskey. What we didn't want you to see was the artwork. Our, our good friend, Moana McAuliffe, who's done all of our Jubilee labels. Yeah, our in-house graphic designer is right? amazing. She's awesome. She did our Hello from the Magic Tavern label. And we gave her an idea and... She ran with it, and and I think it helps to really show the diversity of her art because everything that people have seen before this has been uh, a bit cartoony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the is, full the full jubilee line. Yeah, was, right. Was Moana, and uh, so I think this shows a slightly more uh, slightly more serious style of art. That's recycling being collected. All right. <laughs> Does that so, wrap up our news? Segment? Yeah, that, that that wraps up our news. Awesome. Do you wanna do you wanna answer Dan's question here? Uh, well, let me start it. You've been teasing it for so long. I figured you had 
you already had something in the barrel. I have a little bit. It is interesting that we have a 75CL or 750ML bottle as our standard, as the legal size, normal-sized spirits bottle. There are a couple other countries that do that as well. You've got South Africa that does a 750. Exactly. Right? And then you've got Canada that will do either. Right? Which just speaks to the Canadian people. Technically, uh, technically the UK will do either. Technically, they will, but they'll do a 750 if that's all is available. Once you set the precedent of, of 700, then it's like, oh, nope, you got to do the 700. But the interesting thing is, up until somewhere around the mid-90s, 750 was the size. If you look at old UK bottlings, they were 750. Hmm. And it was actually them that changed to 700 to this different size bottle. And we just sort of stuck to what we've done. So the, the reason why the UK switched to 700 ml is, is really has to do with the European Union, right? They wanted to have the standard bottle size across the Union. And the UK switched, it was actually in 1992, they went from 750 to 700. Man. And yeah. This, and, and then this is why people voted for Brexit. They wanted to go back to 750 mil bottles. Wait, is this the whole, is this, was that this the is platform? It. This is it. This wow. is us. We've uncovered it. Yeah. You thought it was racism and xenophobia and yeah. jingoism and misplaced patriotism and uh, memories of a distant past. Uh-huh. Nope. Uh-huh. It was all to do. The only thing it had to do with was 750 mil bottles. Wow. I really misunderstood people. I thought there was just a bunch of racist Back-to-back episodes. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad Sam Filmus gets to see the best of us. <laughs> oh, I've been doing business with you guys for how long? Uh, now, the interesting thing for me as I think about bottle sizes is, like you had said, the UK will accept 750s if they have to. If you go to the Whiskey Exchange, you'll actually see they have a few different... Um, and I only noticed this a while back. I forget why. Someone must have sent me the links. Um, some whistle pig bottlings. They had some 700 ml and some 750 ml bottlings. It was me. I sent you those links. Oh, it was you. You're welcome. I knew it was someone. I, I Glad it resonated. Yeah, someone out in the whiskey ether sent me <laughs> some things. Yeah, that, I guarantee you the person was not that important. Because <laughs> I do not remember who it was. But it's interesting, and we only learned this in the last year, you can use a 750 mil bottle in the United States, fill it to 700 mils. Yes, yes. And export that to the UK and Europe. Yes, you can. That, that was wild. That really blew my mind. Yes, yeah, nice little gray area or loophole or whatever it is. Yeah. Nice little... Yeah, you know, if if so, we needed to do that. So with so with this introduction set, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind here. Ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna zig when Dan Grison is zagging here. I'm wow. for a universal bottle size. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna pick seventy five or seventy cl. I'm going to say fifty cl. 
should be the global standard. And this, and this is why I sometimes question our, our business partnership. <laughs> so let, so let, me, let, me, let me defend myself from that charge. You would get more bottles from a cask. Uh-huh. You would have a lower price point on each individual bottle. Maybe. <laughs> okay. As an individual company bottling, you could set whatever price you want on it. If we use 70 and 75 CL pricing matrices, if you were to bottle into a 50 CL, you could make your prices lower. But you could potentially make your prices lower assuming that your bottling hall treats the use of 70, treats the use of 50, 70, and 75 CL bottles as equals. But that's what I'm saying. In my 50 CL world, we no longer have 70 and 75. Okay. We're only going to have 50 CL going forward. It w- it is the new standard in this argument. Do you know why that can never happen? Well, there's a million reasons why it can never happen. And if you say it's because it's illegal in the United States, I'm going to tell you in my world with this 50 CL, the US would be on board. So this you're just LARPing right now. Oh, what does that mean? You're live action role playing. A hundred percent, yes. A hundred percent. This is what I said. <laughs> I think the 70 and the 75 should be done away with Uh and the 50 should be the universal standard so that we get more bottles per cask so more people can buy it. The price is reduced so it becomes more accessible to more people Uh and you can increase the number of bottles that you're buying if you're putting 50 CLs on your shelf. I think my world with 50 CL ruling the day, is a good-looking world. And I 100% endorse it. Wow. Are you looking for votes as well? I I know I'm not getting your vote, but maybe some listeners will vote for that. (laughs) They might. You know what? I like like the larger bottle format. I just like having a little extra liquid. It allows me to share more, which which is good. I don't enjoy emptying bottles. I want them to stick around and putting it in a 50 CL or 500 ML, however you want to look at it, uh, bottle makes it so I'm emptying them more and sharing a bit less. Or but, pretend, I also, yeah. but I also like the fact it's a half liter, right? What's 70? 70 is 0.7 of a liter. That's completely useless as far as liters go. 75, three quarters of a liter. Okay, there's a little bit of sense there. But if you start buying by the half liter and you need to pour for 20 people, 30 people, buy two half liters. I thought the argument that you might adopt Uh is let's increase and let's do what traditionally they did in travel retail, which is let's go to liter bottles. No, that's too big. I don't like that at all. (laughs) Have you ever seen when you hold a liter bottle though? really feel like you're holding something. It does, but it feels too heavy. And then you have to think about the logistics of your shelf. How much bigger is the bottle? How many bottles can you fit on that shelf? So I'm so glad you've come back around to 50 CL bottles. This makes me happy. This makes me, I feel like I've finally earned your vote this day. 
I just, I feel like you're making the, this one goes to 11 argument. With a liter or with a half liter? I'm saying, no, the, the, the 500 isn't going to work because of X, Y, and Z. And you're like, yeah, but this one goes to 11. So you would pick a favorite between 70 CL and 75? You're going to go with the American 75? This is what I would like to see. Regardless of the size, I want, I would like to see the world stick to one standard bottle size. And if I had my druthers, it would be the 75 CL. I, for whatever reason, I like that three quarters of a liter. There's historical, you know, it just, it's, there have been so many bottles that will say three quarters of a liter. Some will say like four fifths quart or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I like that. But you and I, sir, just as, just as Chris kind of talked about in the Sam Filmus episode, where it's not our job to fight that fight. Our job is to work within the rules and regulations of how the world works. And that's why we're using one bottling hall to deal with our 70 CL <laughs> bottles. And we're using one bottling hall to use our 70 CL bottles. And it just makes logistically, we just have to work within the confines of like the shit thrown at us. Yeah, that's that seems like a culpa. I'd rather LARP. So hopefully, hopefully that sufficiently answers the question. Do we cut back to Chris Udi for a misconception? Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I think that's good. Let's hand it back to Chris and to Sam because they both have their own misconceptions to share. Brilliant. And uh, and then we'll let our our good people go. Yeah. Well, let's. Let's do a quick little cheers to our, our Sam Filmus and our Chris Udi in episode six and seven of season three. Thanks to you for editing, Joshua. Thanks to the listeners for supporting us, being our best ambassadors. I will see you in Campbelltown. I'll see you in Campbelltown. Cheers, mate. Cheers, brother. So my final question for each of you. Sam, well, uh, question before the question. How long have you been in the spirits business? Well, I would say legally about, in the spirits legally. business. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's a little bit too high of a, a number, but yeah, about 25 years. 25 now. years. Yep. Okay. I think there are some people listening to this podcast that, that aren't yet 25 years of age and that's not poking fun at your age uh, young man um there's a reason i say this how about yourself chris i started working door to bar when i was 21 the day i turned 21 yeah and then within a few years i was bartending and then i kind of slipped out for a little bit and then i got back into it on accident when i met sam and started working for him Mm. so all together 18, 19 years, but I think I only like claim fourteen because of I've been with I've been we've been working together for eleven, 11 years yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, okay. So in that time, and you've been to distilleries, and you've done tastings, 
and you've done tastings for whiskey geeks, and you've done tastings for people who are very green but interested in learning. What are some of the weird things you've heard? What's a, what's a misconception that you, that you heard from a consumer, or maybe it was your own misconception? You know, so, so something you know, I thought this about whiskey, but holy crap, I learned that that's not the case. The first one that comes to mind would be probably when you know, we we import whiskey from Pendering Distillery in Wales. Mm. When people call, oh, that's a Welsh Scotch whiskey, right? Uh, or it's Japanese Scotch, right? <laughs> and that puts yourself in a very weird position. But at the same time, I have found by talking to people about it and um, kind of getting to to this point where where everyone is clear on what whiskey is about and how it's mm. called. Yeah. Chris? So mine is, I've got two. The first one that I see on a pretty regular basis, which is great, is I have a lot of people that say, no, I don't like whiskey, I like scotch. Or they say, no, I don't yes. like whiskey, I like bourbon. Oh, trust me, bonkers. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. adorable, right? It is, it is adorable. Yeah. Uh, Cute. But the, the other one is so, like... So, I, I'm sorry... And, and I'll get, because I want to ask you the same question. How do you, not combat that, but how do you help educate that person in a way that doesn't make them feel stupid for saying what they said? So first, let me let me add on the other part of the okay. misconception. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Because it has to do with me. Like, okay. mine was, I've had the same prejudices that I've, I've tried to teach against mm. throughout my whiskey, my personal whiskey journey. And so um, those are kind of comical as well, where I used to think that it needed to be a certain way or it had to do this or it had to do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it just needed to be enjoyable. Mm. Now, the way that I combat against it is I say, it, it depends on your audience, right? Like some people don't want to hear it and it's not my job to teach someone who doesn't want to hear it. But those who are a little confused and they're looking to learn, I just say, think of the word whiskey like the word wine. And wine is just a category, right? And wine has its different children. It has Cabernet, it has Bordeaux, it has Pinot Grigio, Pinot Noir. Whiskey's the same thing. It's an umbrella term. There's many different children of whiskey. You've got bourbon, you've got rye, you've got Irish, you have Japanese, you have Scotch. All Scotch whiskeys are whiskeys, and all bourbon whiskeys are whiskeys. But not all bourbon whiskeys are Scotch whiskeys. None of them are, right? Yeah, So if you think about it as an umbrella term, and you think of each one of these as brothers in arms under the parent of the word whiskey, then you're there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What about you with, you know, I like that Japanese scotch or... Well, I love these kind of questions. I really enjoy them. Yeah. Because, A, well, first of all, I never argue. argue. Uh, I always kind of agree. But then take another turn to educate people what the term whiskey means and what it stands for, and etc. Mm-hmm. And I actually enjoy it very much because I know that People appreciate that, uh, even though they've been here for maybe all their life, and they've been drinking Japanese scotch <laughs> or for a long time, and they leave the conversation of learning about something that they haven't heard before. But that yeah. brings a huge satisfaction to yeah. me. Okay. So I have one last thing I want to say, yes. and that is um, I know that when... Everyone's listening to this. Jason's going to be adding in his comments on it. Mm-hmm. But I just really wanted to say, Jason, we love you. We wish you were here with us. And we want to raise our glasses to you, buddy. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Cheers, Jason, Jason, we miss you. 
Cheers. Cheers.